I work for World Vision, a Christian humanitarian organization. But I'm going to guess that most of you know exactly who World Vision is and what we do because this church shows up. Like year after year after year, you continue to show up. Yes. And you bring, you bring irreversible breakthrough. Faith Covenant has raised $85,450 since 2016. That's incredible for clean water projects. Normally, I don't show um, churches when I have the opportunity to do this, a slide with so much details where it shows year after year because another reason I love this church, man, usually these numbers are upside down. Usually their first year, they have the biggest impact and then it goes a little bit lower. But this church, you guys are special. You are so special. And I could not, I could not share the $85,000 without telling you how incredible that is. But um, like Pastor Kurt mentioned, we are partnered uh, through a program called Covenant Kids Congo, powered by World Vision. And what he didn't mention is that the DR Congo is one of the hardest places to reach in the world, is the, one of the hardest places to serve. This area has been beaten up by warfare, by disease, by extreme poverty. Over 60% of the people who live there live on less than a dollar a day. A dollar a day. Kids are not going to school. They have very little access to healthcare. And it's just hard to get to, but you all just continue to show up. So I have this crazy job. I get to come to churches and invite people to run or walk half or full marathons. Like, that's kind of a weird job. I get it. So this is it. Here I am. I'm going to invite you right now. We're going to get this out of the way. We're going to rip the band-aid off. I want to invite you to run or walk the half or full marathon on June 7th. We're going to do the Seattle Rock and Roll Marathon. Okay, so if you've ever worn an orange jersey, if you have ran, if you have walked with us, if you have been part of raising that $85,000, I want to say thank you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for taking on big goals. Thank you for giving your teammates high fives and encouraging them. Thank you for showing up on early mornings. But more than anything, thank you for bringing 1,708 kids clean water. So right now you're one of three people. You're either that person, as soon as you heard the word marathon, you're like, yes, I've been waiting for this all year. I can't wait. If both of you could just wave at me right now. (laughs) Hey, there you are. (laughs) All right. Or you're that person. Oh, you just got that Holy Spirit pit in the bottom of your stomach. And you're like, oh, I know I should do this. I don't want to. Or you're thinking, I really, really want to do this. I don't know if I can. But you got that little Holy Spirit pit, right? Or you're the third person, you just heard the word marathon, you totally checked out, and you're already thinking about the Seahawks game, right? (laughs) Okay. I am with you. I get it. I am not a runner. I want you to hear that. I am not a runner. When God called me into this crazy role and into running and walking these half and full marathons, I was in a dark place in my life. I was broken. I was tired. I was scared. And um, here was God just calling me into it. Do you know that feeling I'm talking about? Maybe you get this crazy idea in your mind that won't go away. Or people keep bringing up the same thing over and over again. Or you have a dream that just keeps showing up every night. Some of us would call that a calling. But then the calling is so ridiculously big that you're like, there's no way that God is calling me into this, right? You totally doubt the calling. 
Well, I'm with you, and that's why I want to um, take a look at Mark 6, 30 through 44. We already heard it uh, read early, earlier this morning. The story of when Jesus feeds the 5,000, it shows up in the New, New Testament four times, so we know this is a really important story. Uh, usually when we talk about this or hear sermons, we talk about communion or we talk about the breaking of the bread and how God uses us in the breaking, right? And he blesses us, just like when Jesus died on the cross. Now, don't get me wrong. We can talk a lot about the breaking that happens when we take on God-sized goals, especially things like half and full marathons. But instead, I'm going to share with you something else that God has totally has placed on my heart. Um, we're going to take a look at how the apostles handle when Jesus asks them to do something that seems completely impossible. We're going to see the apostles take two approaches, two ways to try to totally get out of what Jesus is calling them, asking them to do or calling them to do. And then we're going to see Jesus's plan. And that plan is so, so much sweeter. Well, um, before we dive into it, I want to um, get in the mindset of the apostles, okay? So the apostles, they've just returned from a really long trip. Jesus said, go and teach what I have taught you and take nothing but the clothes on your back. So no money, no, just the clothes on their back, and they come back, right? And they are tired. And um, I travel a lot for work. I travel a lot. And I was in Malawi this last summer. I was there for two weeks. I took 17 adults through four different countries. We were on 13 plane rides, spent 75 hours in airports and in airplanes, countless hours all together in long car rides into remote villages. And when I came back, I'm going to tell you, I was so tired. I was completely exhausted. I didn't want to see another human being. I just wanted to like totally check out, like, don't talk to me. I don't want to tell you about my trip. Just leave me alone. So I crawled in bed. It was like 1.30 in the morning, you know, snuck in there. And about four hours later at 5.30 a.m., my bed looked like this. Oh, that's not the right one. <laughs> that's not what my bed looked like that day. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, my kids crawled in my bed with me at 5.30 in the morning, right? So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I, all I want to do is be by myself. I just want to, um, to, to be quiet. And my kids are coming in bed. It's 5.30 in the morning. And I could not get them out of my room fast enough. I was like, I love you. I have this very precious photo that might pop up. And I'm like, I got the photo. And then I'm like, all right, get out. It's time for me to go back to sleep, right? So the apostles are feeling a lot like this. They just got back from this very long trip. They are exhausted. They are tired. And... Um, and Jesus isn't done with them. You know, I imagine that they came back, they crossed this finish line, and they're like, okay, God, we're done. Mission completed. So it even says the apostles were tired, they were scared. John the Baptist was beheaded while they were gone, so they were very scared. Um, and they couldn't even, they said that they didn't even have a chance to eat, so they were hungry. So can you imagine the relief, right? When I bet um, it felt a lot like when the, the doors closed with my kids on the other side of it, when Jesus said, come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. They're like, yes, this is it. So eventually they pull up to shore and Jesus um, did what Jesus always does when, they, when he saw the large crowd and he began to teach them. And then it starts getting late. These men, they're tired, they're hungry, they're scared, and they're probably totally running on empty, right? So they say something along the lines of, Jesus, we have a problem. There's a lot of people here. They're, they're hungry, and we have nothing to feed them. So this is when we see the apostles take their first approach. They go with the send them away plan. Send them away so they can go get their own food. 
We do this all the time when we face a challenge, when we see an opportunity to serve, we are so quick to say, send it away. Oftentimes, I think when we say send it away, what we really mean is we feel like we don't have what it takes. When we hear that calling, we just think, I'm not qualified. It's so much easier to say, just send it away. After the apostles suggested Jesus to send them away, Jesus just responds with, you feed them. (laughs) How do they respond? They don't say, okay, Jesus, sounds great. They respond like most of us do after the send it away plan doesn't work. They go to plan number two. They go to the protest plan. I also like to call this the protest and complain plan. They tell Jesus exactly how unprepared we are. they are. We do not have enough food, Jesus. That's going to take half a year's wages. Are we to go and buy all that food and then come back and feed all these people? We can't do this. How often do we do this? When we know that God is calling us into something that seems totally impossible, we tell God exactly what we do not have. I know I should serve at church, but I don't have enough time. I know uh, I should go back to school, but it has been years since I've studied. I don't even know if I can do that anymore. We tell God exactly what we do not have. We protest and we complain. I know God wants me to run a half marathon or walk a half marathon, but I've never ran before. My My kids keep me busy. I can't run. I'd have to walk. I've already done Team World Vision. Think about it. The apostles, they're ordinary men. They are tired, they are scared, they are hungry, and let's be honest, they're totally not qualified to logistically plan how to feed 5,000 people. Like, that takes a lot of skill, am I right? So fun fact about me, I started my career in large-scale events and in catering, so if Jesus was like, okay, Danny, go feed 5,000, I'd be like, no problem, Jesus. We're going to need 25 double-sided buffets. We're going to need 80 wait staff, right? We're going to need the line to start here and go that way. Let's not forget about dessert. But God rarely calls us into those places that we feel so comfortable. He doesn't call us into our comfort zones because it's in the hard places that he can show up. It's in those hard places that he can meet us. That is when God can show up. He can multiply what we have and we can be a true witness to his goodness. This is my favorite sentence of the entire passage. And this is is where Jesus um, responds with one simple question. How many loaves do you have? That's it. How many loaves do you have? The apostles, they are done. They are tired. They are scared. They are hungry. But Jesus was not done with them. But let's be honest. Isn't that a little bit annoying, that question? How many loaves do you have? (laughs) Not enough. (laughs) When we're being called into something that seems impossible, whether it's taking on a marathon or trying to end the global water crisis or to help children on the other side of the world, we are are so quick to go through our own plans, right? To get out of what he's asking us to do. We can be so quick to say, God, send it away, to tell him how unprepared we are. But as soon as we're willing to give God what we do have and step into God's plan, that's when he's going to show up and when he can make the impossible possible. So when Jesus asks the apostles, how many loaves do you have? The answer is not enough, not enough to feed 5,000. What we have is five loaves and two fish. Can you imagine that moment? 
Standing in front of 5,000 hungry people, Jesus asking what you have, and all you have is five loaves and two fish, how completely inadequate you must have felt. They must have felt completely unprepared and blindsided. I know I can imagine it. I want to show you, share a photo of you, uh, of my family. Um, this photo was taken in April 2015. That's my husband, James. James and I met uh, 15 years ago. Uh, we got to college on Thursday. We met on Saturday. I don't think it was in either of our plans to meet our spouses like the first weekend of our college experience, but the rest is history. That's my daughter, Emmy. Uh, she was two years old in that photo, and my son, Parker, was six weeks. And this is an incredibly special photo for my family because two weeks after, I'm sorry, one week after this photo was taken, our entire world changed. We heard the words that no parent ever expects to hear, our daughter has cancer. Emmy had cancer. And uh, my husband and I, we, I mean, my family, we knew childhood cancer existed. We saw the St. Jude's commercials. We knew Seattle Children's was there, but you never, ever expect it to hit your family. I only cried twice through Emmy's treatment, but I'm talking that like soul-wrenching from the gut cry. And the first time that I cried was the night that we heard those words. We'd been at the hospital for about 10 hours, waiting to find out why was my daughter in so much pain? She was in so much pain, she couldn't walk. I eventually walked out of that room very calmly and walked down to the family bathroom, closed the door behind me, and I collapsed. And with my back against the wall, I begged God to send it away. Send it away. My husband and I, we'd never even had anyone close to us in our life deal with cancer, not like this. And all of a sudden, we were expected to quickly learn the ins and outs of the hospital procedures, to learn the medicines, the side effects, when to push the button, when not to push the button. Emmy went through five months of chemotherapy. She had three surgeries. One of them was 17 hours long. Stem cell transplant, radiation, immunotherapy. I'm telling you, we were not prepared. We were completely overwhelmed, um, but through this broken time, we knew that God was giving us an opportunity to uh, witness to thousands of people. This sounds crazy, but almost overnight, our friend requests like quadrupled on social media. Our email inbox was exploding, and we knew that we had to glorify God through all of it. At the time, though, uh, my family, we were barely going to church. I hardly had a prayer life. I remember um, as my husband and I wrote the blogs together, we were literally just Googling Bible verses to put at the bottom of these things. We were giving God all that we had. And it's amazing because to this day, we meet people that Emmy's story has changed their life. Dads that were barely home and now they never miss dinner. Or we've talked to uh, people whose faith was deepened and renewed and restored. We've even heard of people who don't believe in God praying on behalf of Emmy. So although it was awkward for us, 
Although we didn't have a lot to give, and although we were begging him to send it away, God showed up. We gave him all we had. I mean, we gave him Google. (laughs) Emmy finished her treatment uh, three years ago, and it was this last October that we finally heard the words, Emmy is healed. And listen, not every story ends like ours. And I know that. I will never know why Emmy survived and so many kids don't. But when she finished treatment in 2016, um, just like the apostles, I was tired. I was scared. I was broken. And I was just ready to enter the boat with Jesus to get some rest. But he wasn't done with me found myself learning about this ministry, Team World Vision, through a job search. (laughs) I knew coming out of Emmy's treatment, um, I was going to fight for kids, but I for sure thought it would be cancer kids, right? I learned pretty quickly, though, uh, what this ministry is all about. This ministry is about the kids who walk six kilometers every day to, to gather their dirty drinking water that they use to cook with, to clean with. Six kilometers every day. You want to give the water that they drink to your dogs. We learned about the kids. I started learning about the kids who um, don't get to go to school because their primary job is to get water. I started learning about the kids um, in places like Malawi, where I was this last summer, and DR Congo, where your church serves, where the roads that they walk to get their dirty water is the leading source of human trafficking. Take a look at this photo. The switch in that child's hand is used to fight off animals. She has it there to fight off the snakes. How did I respond when God started calling me to World Vision? I went with the send it away plan. God, send it away. My heart was full. My heart was full of cancer kids. I had no more room to take on more kids. God, just send it away. Then I found out that serving in this ministry would mean running and walking a lot of miles. (laughs) It also means standing on a lot of stages. (laughs) How did I respond? I went with the protest plan and I complained and I told God exactly why I'm not qualified to do this. I had never ran more than two miles in my entire life and that was when I was in the best shape of my life. I had no idea if I could run or walk half or full marathons. I'd never been a public speaker. If you look at my resume, I'm probably way more qualified to actually plan a wedding than I am to be standing on this stage. (laughs) I just remember feeling so inadequate and all of a sudden so out of shape. I remember I was scared and just thinking, how am I ever going to take on this role? How am I ever going to have enough room for more kids in my heart? But God so clearly said, it's not my job to define the capacity of my heart. He will tell me when he is done with me, and he was not done. Here's what we know from Mark 6. God uses the broken, the tired, the scared, the not qualified, the inadequate. And if we give him what we have, Jesus will make the impossible possible. Because Jesus, he wasn't asking the apostles for what they don't have. You never heard him say, 
bring 5,000 loaves and 5,000 fish. All he wanted was what they do have. And that is all that he's still asking for today. I want to encourage you to say yes to whatever it is that God is calling you into. Maybe that's starting a relationship with him or renewing it. Maybe that's reconciliation within your family, and that can sometimes seem impossible. Maybe it's running or walking a stinking half or full marathon. Maybe it's coming back and doing it again. In 2019, this church had 39 people move their feet, and you raised $27,000 just last year. And I want to invite you and challenge you in this new year, in this new decade, to come back as the biggest team. That these numbers, that they continue to grow and that next year we can again celebrate the growth of this church and the impact that you have made year over year. But this year I want you to think about inviting your friends and your family outside of these walls. To your neighbors, I want you to invite your friends that don't know Jesus because we want to witness to kids and families on the other side of the world, but we need to witness to our neighbors too, right? And the apostles in Mark 6 uh, didn't know what was possible with only five loaves and two fish until they stepped out into faith and said yes to Jesus, and then they gave him all that they had. Don't you wonder what would happen if we all just said yes? Yes to those crazy ideas, those crazy callings, those reoccurring dreams. What would happen if we said yes? If we stepped out into faith like the apostles and gave him all that we had, because he's not done with you. I want you to take a look at this video. Someone else would do something about it. But God was calling me to be broken by the global water crisis, to do something, to be awakened and activated, to move my feet and run a marathon to change the course of a child's life and the course of mine. But was it for me? I'm not a runner. Marathons? Fundraising? That's just not me. I'm not a runner. I'm not somebody who does athletic events. Or is this opportunity for me? Could I maybe, just maybe, say yes? When we say yes to God's crazy invitations, boldly trusting in his faithfulness, he does amazing things. Because on the other side of yes is water and fullness of life. And God has something in it for you. And believe it or not, this is going to be fun. Because this isn't just running. This isn't just water. This is the church. This is the body of Christ coming together to love and serve the least of these brothers and sisters of ours. To see and experience God's transformational power. This is a revival. Will you join us?
I'm going to come back to that um, invitation in a moment. But I just want to share with you an, a story. Um, this last summer, like I said, I was in Malawi, and it was an incredible trip. We got to witness the start line and the finish line of our work. So we went to one community that had been partnering with us for 22 years, and they kindly said, we're good. We don't need you anymore. When we got there, they had one primary school, and now they have 22. They had zero health clinics, and now they have one. They had no college graduates, now they had 10. They had zero high schools, and now they had one. They were thriving, and they said, we are good. But then we went to a community that was at their start line. This community didn't even yet have access to clean water. And the idea when we got there was that uh, we were going to take a walk for water with them. We were actually going to help carry their burden. So we got out of the car, and oh, it was so just beautiful, everything you imagine. They were singing and dancing and welcoming us. So we took a walk to their water source. I think I have a photo of it. Um, This is a shallow well. This is the water that they use every day to cook, to clean, to drink. And I remember I was standing there uh, listening to the woman right there in the front in the blue. Tell us about the hardships that come with drinking this water. Now the kids, they don't get to go to school because their stomachs are in so much pain. that they share this, this um, water with animals. But what I didn't realize was as she was speaking that I was standing upwind from the well. So the wind was hitting my back and going towards the water. Then all of a sudden the wind shifted and the smell punched me in the face. It smelled like manure. It took everything I had not to cover my face. So I went and I got my bucket and I scooped up the water And they taught me to carry it on my head, and I began walking. And I remember I took this one really kind of wonky step, and the water above me sloshed. And in that moment, pure reaction, my shoulder dodged. Because in that moment, I didn't want to smell like they're drinking water. Here I am, a World Vision employee. I stand on stages, I tell the stories, I know the facts. And in that moment, I was so ashamed that I dodged their drinking water. Are you kidding me? I went and I put the bucket down when we got back to the community. I joined the rest of the group. I sat down and I was wrecked and I was just processing what had just happened. And as I was processing, I watched a mom with a baby on her hip, probably about one years old, walk over, grab a cup, scoop it out, and begin feeding it to her child. And everything in me in that moment wanted to stand up and just shout, no, stop, don't do it. What I know is in that moment, God was reminding me why he called me here. He called me for the moms. Because I couldn't help but think about my daughter. My daughter also had 50% chance of surviving, and so many of the areas that we serve have 50% chance of surviving, but I got to take, to take my daughter to the best place in the world to treat neuroblastoma. These moms have to feed their children water that could kill them. Not because they love their kids any less, but because they have absolutely no choice, and that is not fair, that's not okay. It's not fair, 
And I knew that if I handed everything that I had to God, that Jesus was going to take care of the rest, right? I stepped into this crazy role, not knowing if I could stand on stages or if I could run more than two miles. But we just got to give him all that we have. So I'm here to invite you to do two things that probably seem impossible to some of you. One is help end the global water crisis. That is a big, scary goal. The second is to join our team in running or walking the Seattle Rock and Roll Half or Full Marathon on June 7th. Right now you might be thinking, I am not qualified. I don't know if I can do that. I'm not ready. But listen, 80% of the people that join our team have never even done a 5K. We have a training plan that can take you from your couch all the way to the finish line. Hey, and when you're done, you can go back to the couch where you started if you want. I don't mind. (laughs) If you have ever put on an orange jersey, ever put on an orange jersey, I want to invite you after church to join me for an info session. We're going to meet right over here. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit more about the race. I'm going to answer any questions. If you have that Holy Spirit pit in the bottom of your stomach and you're just thinking, I'm not sure yet, but I think I need to learn more. I want to invite you to the info session right over here, right after service. If you're that person that's all in and you know you're signing up tonight, I would love to invite you over here for the info session right after service. I'm only here today, um, so I would really love to meet you. Thank you so much for having me.